reason uh, to visit today. Uh, I recognize and realize that it's most likely because your family attends here or part of the ministries here. Uh, but if you're visiting cold turkey or if you're here with your family today, we're glad you're here. Thank you for being here. We do have some visitors' cards in the back of the seat. If you'd like to have uh, give us a record of your visit today, just fill one of those out. You can put them in the offering boxes at, on the back wall, and we'll make sure that we get that. Okay, Luke chapter uh, 15, beginning at verse 11. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Here we go. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him. And kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you will help me to represent it properly to your people today and to speak as you would have me to speak. I pray for every listener today that they will be able to listen and hear beyond their pre preconceived ideas and notions and somehow. Uh, really be able to relate to and understand the passage of Scripture that we will talk about today. Father, I thank you that the truth of this Scripture is that it reveals who you are in our lives. And I pray that before we leave this house today that we'll have come to a full understanding of who the Heavenly Father is and what you have done for us and how you are working in our lives today. Father, we put it all in your hands and we glorify your name, for it is in Jesus' name that we come and we pray, amen and amen. You know, I was thinking this week about how many great days I've had in my life. I am so blessed. I mean, honestly, there are days I get out of bed and I think, well, this is not such a wonderful day, a great day. In fact, I'm already, if I have to be honest with you, I'm dreading next week a little bit because I'm sick and tired of 90 degrees and above. I'm ready for 70-degree hoodie weather. I'm ready to go camping. 
I don't like to go camping when it's 90 and 95 degrees. I don't feel like doing anything but just drinking sweet tea or lemonade and sitting inside in the air conditioning. Can I get an amen to that? I, that we all have those days and those seasons where things aren't everything that we'd hope for them to be. But when we look at our life over the long haul, from the very beginning to the end, then we can realize how blessed that we are because of the Lord. I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and how things began to change in my life. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't immediate. And how many of you know that I'm still working on me? I'm still trying to become everything that the Lord wants me to be. But it has been a wonderful and joyful journey with Jesus. And then I remember asking this lovely lady over here if she would be my girlfriend and going out and eating and going out and, and uh, hiking and all the things that we used to do and still do sometimes. And I was so happy when she said yes. And I was so nervous and I was so anxious about how am I going to be a husband and will I be a good husband and will I be a good guy and will I be able to live uh, effectively and successfully in this relationship. But it was a glorious day, a wonderful day. And then I remember about four years later, thereabout, we were told that she was expecting our first child. And then came Jonathan. It was the most chaotic day of my life. I'm telling you, we had the hardest time getting that guy into the world. Everything that could be wrapped around his neck was wrapped around his neck. But he finally came out and he looked like his head looked like a football. And so we said, put him back in. He's not finished. We need to try this again. <clears throat> but it was such a wonderful, wonderful day. And then uh, about four years later, we, we went to another hospital and had another child. And Erin uh, was just the most peaceful birth that I, I've witnessed. And she just arrived so beautifully and sweetly and peaceful. And it, it was just a piece of cake. I didn't feel a thing. <clears throat> And having our children was just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we've been blessed all these years with our children. And I could go on and on about how that I've been blessed, but I remember now about 16 years ago when we got a phone call from John and Liz and said, hey, we're expecting your first grandchild. And then Benjamin came. And so now we had Benjamin, and what a wonderful time that has been and and to be able to to interact with him and see him and grow and become the man of God that God has called him to be. We're able to go to his football games and watch him play and see all the joy that radiates from him. What a great kid that he is. Love him so much. And then Aaron got married. She married Justin Franklin and they produced children, grandkids, and, and then there was, you know, there's Jovi, and jo, Jovi reminds us pretty frequently, you do know that my name means joyful, right? Yes, I remember that, and it does bring so much joy, and then a Harper, and Harper, and she is the loudest grand, grandkid that I've ever had. She just can, can take a quiet, peaceful moment and turn it into the, to a rock and roll concert in a hurry. This girl is loud. They told us after Harper, now you need to get used to the fact that there won't be any more. This is it. We're not having any more. And so we decided, okay, three, and we can live with that. That will be fine until they called and they said, guess what? There's another one on the way. And then there was Henry. And there is Henry. 
And Henry will change your life. I'm telling you, he can. He's quite a kid. But now they've said, listen, we lied to you before about this being all, but this is truthful now. There will not be any more grandchildren. We've already had all the procedures and the surgeries that are necessary to guarantee. This is my grandson right here coming down front. He's the one I'm talking about. He knew I was talking about him. He wanted you to see him, so he came down front. They told us no more grandbabies, and so now we've come to the realization that there probably won't be any more, although you can't rule out the miraculous hand of God upon someone's life. But those four grandchildren bring some of the most wonderful joy to my life. I love to see them come. I love it when they're going to come visit. I also love it when they leave. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm older than I used to be, and I don't have as much energy as I used to have. But you know, as we grow in life and we discover the various roles that God has for us, it's interesting all the many things that we do with our life. You know, we date our, our spouse, and then we become a spouse, a husband or a wife, and then we become a mom or a dad, and then we become grandparents, and then some of you have probably already reached the level that we haven't attained yet, and that's great-grandchildren. And so we all have these roles and these seasons in which we play different parts. And it seems like in our world today that being a grandparent is almost more like being a parent because of the way that the world has changed. We have families that usually mom and dad both have to work to make a living, to, to make enough money just to make a rent payment or a mortgage payment or or to have the things that are needed. And grandparents more and more are discovering that they have a greater role to play in the lives of their grandchildren uh, than it used to be. And so we have to adjust to these things and discover now what is my role and how am I going to pull this off? Well, I would like to suggest to you this morning that our greatest role as grandparents is really twofold. Number one, We are supposed to be examples to them. We're supposed to live in such a a way that they can see our lives and say, I'd like to be like Pops, or I'd like to be like Grammy, or I'd like to be with whatever your kids call you. I, I would like to be like them. I don't mind at all being like them because they were successful and they lived in such a way that if I can live half as well as they have, then I will have a great and wonderful life. So we are to model our faith to them. And I think the greatest thing, secondly, is is that we can pray for them. I mean, keep them constantly before the throne of God and make sure that they are covered and lifted in prayer. As I was studying for today, I I discovered something that I'd really not thought about that much, and that is that there's not a whole lot in Scripture that talks about grandparents. You can find an occasional grandparent and their life, and uh, but there's not a whole lot of direct commands or examples and that kind of thing. And so as I was reading this passage of Scripture, something just kind of leapt off the page at me, and I've discovered through the years that when that kind of thing happens that I need to be paying closer attention to it. And in verse 11 in chapter 15, I saw this. It said, there was a man who had two sons. 
Now in the King James Version, I think it says there was a certain man. In other words, this was not just any old man, but it was a specific man that Jesus was going to talk about. Now, uh, for the sake of fairness, I want you to understand that this was one of the parables of Jesus. So we don't know if this story was factual or not. We just know that Jesus told them this story so that they could have an understanding of some of the principles that he was trying to teach. And so as we look at it, what we need to do is try to get our mind wrapped around what it was that Jesus was trying to teach. And so as I look at this man today, I find three things that I think are very important for us, whether we're a parent or whether we're a grandparent today. And I'm going to call them the three postures of a positive role model. The three postures of a positive role model. Now, the first thing that I would want you to notice is that this certain man, this, this father, led with open hands. Now, everybody take your hands, put them out in front of you, and do like this. Just do. This is a sign that I am bringing something and transferring it to you. It's been done through the years, and it just means simply that I am releasing whatever is in my hands to you. And so as we read this Scripture and this story, we see that the Father, this certain man, was willing to take this posture of leading with open hands. He was not a grabber. He was not out to get whatever he could get. He was not out to control his kids' lives, but instead he was willing to, re, to release them to be who God had called them to be. Now let me tell you something today. Every child needs a personal journey toward independence. Let me say that again. Every child needs a personal journey toward independence. Now, I've always been taught that when you're preaching the Word, you just stand in it and speak the truth. But when you're giving your opinion, you should warn people that this is your opinion. So I'm going to give you my opinion for a moment, okay? So you can take it or leave it. It won't matter that much to me. But here's what I think. I think that we live in a world where parents and grandparents tend to overstep their responsibilities and bonds with, with their children and grandchildren. We've got to learn to release them to the hands of God because they will never become what God intends for them to be until we are willing to release them into the hands of the Lord. Let me tell you, God loves your child more than you do. You say, well, that's not possible. But it is possible. Because He created through you and through nature, He created this child and knew about this child from the moment that child was conceived in the womb of the mother. And so God wants for us to release them to independence. Now how many of you know that every child given time will eventually rebel against their authority? They will. They're going to do it because it's a natural progress toward independence. Now, I'm 60 years of age. I've got, a, I've got two kids in their 30s, and let me just be very open and honest with you. I don't want them to be dependent upon me. Number one, I can't afford it. Number two, it would not be what is best for them. 
And so what I'm trying to say to you today is that some of us just need to release our kids to be who God has called them to be. I like to call certain moms that I know, I like to call them helicopter moms. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They're always hovering around wherever their child is. They're scared to death that something is going to happen to their child. I saw a Facebook meme the other day, and I had to put the the phone down and laugh out loud because it was a picture of an era of when I would have been growing up. Because there were all these kids in the back of a pickup truck, and they were just hanging out in the back of the truck while the truck is going down the highway. They used to take us in a farming community. You just get as many people in the back of the truck as you can and take off and hold on for dear life. You know what I'm saying? But down below were these children strapped in a minivan in car seats. They were wrapped in bubble wrap and had their seatbelts over the top of the bubble wrap. And it struck me as being so funny because it is so true today. Oh, we can't even ride a bicycle without having helmets and pads and knee pads and all that kind of stuff. And some of your moms are looking at me like, well, if you had a child today, you'd understand. Listen, I get it. We did everything we could to keep our children safe. And we still do everything we can to keep our grandchildren safe. But come on, sometimes we just need to say, Lord, this is your child and I trust this child to you. You're going to take care of this child. Some of the worries that we live with every day of our life are strictly because we refuse to have an open hand posture toward our children. Let me tell you something. If you've got teenagers, especially if you've got teen boys... They are going to look at the girls. They are. They're going to look at them, and when they, they may be in the middle of a conversation, and a girl walks by, and they're going to stop talking, they're going to stop whatever they're going to do, and they're just going to watch that girl walk by. Now, before you say, well, that's sexist, and that's all that kind of stuff, it is the way that it is. Boys will be boys and girls will be girls. Now listen, boys, I need to give you a word of warning. For every girl that you look at, you better just keep yourself under control because for every girl that walks by you, there's a daddy with a shotgun. Doesn't matter if they're saved or not. If you mess with that girl, you're going to be in trouble from daddy. Let me just go on and say that even if daddy with the shotgun's nowhere clear, Her mama's going to kill you if she gets a chance. So I get it. I get that there are all these things that we have to deal with, but there comes a point when we simply have to release them into the hands of God. In fact, if we look at nature, we're told that the eagles understand and know when their eaglets are ready to get out of the nest. They don't let them stay. They don't cut a deal with them and say, look, if you'll pay half the rent, we'll let you stay here. If you'll take the trash out, we'll let you stay for a few minutes. No, the mama eagle begins to make that nest uncomfortable for them so that they will leave of their own will. And if they don't leave on their own, they will shove them out of the house. Some of you need to shove somebody out of your house so that they can grow up and become the people that God has called them to be. 
Say amen or oh me, one or the other. So he led with open hands. Secondly, he led with open arms. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, take your hands, put them out in front of you, and now do like this. Turn them a little bit sideways and pull, pull them in. Open arms. Did you ever try to hug somebody without open your arms? Stand up, baby. I want to hug you. You mind if I hug you? You don't want to hug. Come on. It just doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? It just it doesn't have the same effect. Now mess your hair up. Yeah. But now this. I was not whispering sweet dirties in her ear. I was whispering sweet nothings in her ear. So we have to learn how to receive our children. God has made our children. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has been a part of that creative process. And we have to receive the child that God has given us. Now, there are certain principles that we have to live by. We should all teach our children not to steal. We should all teach our children not to cuss. Would you believe that I had to teach my daughter Erin not to cuss? She would come in the house from school one day in particular, looked in the refrigerator, couldn't find what she wanted, slammed the door, and you can ask her what she said. So we're saying, well, you know, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't. Use your mouth for that kind of thing. And she, she wanted a list of all of the cuss words that she could not say. It's our job to parent our children. We have to teach them how to live their lives. Can I just say that we need to teach them to respect the house of God? Now, this is not an old man talking here. But let me tell you something. God honors respect for His house. We should not only come to the house of the Lord, but we should treat the house of the Lord with honor and respect. The Old Testament priests, if they got out of order in the temple, they would tie a rope to their leg so that if they got out of order and God killed them in His presence, they could drag them out of the Holy of Holies. Some of us just need to put a rope on the ankles of our children in the house of the Lord. They don't need to be running here and there and everywhere. They don't need to be climbing on the pews. They don't need to be playing the drums. I'm not mad at anybody. But what I'm saying to you is, is that we as parents have a responsibility to teach our children how to appropriately approach God. And some of them won't know how to appropriately approach God because they'll be running around the outside of the church saying, catch me if you can, God. And what I'm telling you is, is that all of our children are different. Now, I understand that there are sometimes there are issues that you have to deal with differently and all of that. But as a general rule, we are responsible for training up our children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will be fully equipped to make spiritual decisions that will impact their lives forever. And so we are to train them up. 
But then the point that I'm trying to make here is that there are times when they fail or when they make mistakes that we have to receive them back when they have found out that they made a poor choice. Sometimes we just want to kick them out of our lives and get them out of our lives and you're not worthy of my love and you're not worthy of my affection and you're not worthy of my prayers. And, but that's not what this guy did. That's not what this father did. This father was looking to make a difference. Now, there's a difference between retrieving your child and receiving your child. If you retrieve your child, you're following them around everywhere. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to make you serve the Lord. I'm going to make you be a Christian. I'm going to make you take the trash out. I'm going to make you this. I'm going to make you that. And we're trying to pull them in this direction that may be difficult for them to do at that point in their lives. But when they come to an understanding that I need to live a certain way and make certain choices, then you've got to open your arms to them and receive them and let them come in. I think two of the hardest seasons of my life were when our children were teenagers. And they were making choices that I knew that they were going to regret. And I, I knew that, and, and we tried to tell them, we tried to warn them, but we were willing to release them to make the choices that they made, even though we knew that they were going to pay a high price. But both of them, thank God, came to a place where they realized that I chose here something that I should not have chosen. It did not work out the way I hoped it would. And I'm ready to turn the corner and make things right. And when that happens, church, we have to be willing to open our arms to them and to receive them. Here's what this man did. He did two things. First of all, he was willing to take a chance. They say, well, they burned me once. So what if they burn me again? Well, what if they do? What if they burn me a third time? Well, what if they do? Take a chance on your child. Take a chance on what God might be doing in their lives. Don't remove your influence over them, but instead stay in their lives so that when the time comes and the door opens, you will be there to be able to accept them and to receive them and love them in the moment that they most need it. I'm telling you, it will happen eventually. And you're going to have to be willing to take a chance. But he went one step further. He didn't only take a chance, but he made a chance. I like that. Because this scripture, this story tells us very clearly that when that kid, when that prodigal finally decided to turn his life around and came down the road walking toward home, they didn't have to go find the father. The father was standing right there at the end of the road. And he was waiting for his child to come home. You can believe it however you want to believe it, but I believe this, this father, this certain man, I believe that he was hoping and expecting for the best every day that he lived. I believe that he went to that road every day and he looked down that road to see if his son was coming today. I believe that every day he was speaking prayers over that kid and saying, Lord, wherever he is, I pray that you'll get a hold of his heart and his mind and that you will ultimately lead him 
home. And when he comes home, and when you bring him home, I'm going to be standing right here waiting for him to come with open arms. And some of us just need to open our arms to some people to forgive them for the poor choices that they made, to forgive them for the things that they would like to have back themselves and accept them back into your life. So he led with open hands. He led with open arms. And then finally, he led with an open heart. He led with an open heart. You say, how do you know that? Because this father restored everything to him. When he came, the son said, the son said, I don't, I'm not even worthy to be in your house. Just make me one of your servants. I, I don't deserve all that I had before. I don't deserve the respect that I... But, but the Father restored him. He didn't say, well, you dummy, I, I told you. You should have listened to me. Oh, don't we love to do that kind of thing? When somebody makes a mistake and they come and they admit they're going to say, well, you know, if you'd have just listened to me, sorry you. There's a whole concert full of crickets playing their violins, just feeling sorry for you. You know, we, we, want, to, we want to take that approach when really all we need to do is just, is just love them. Just, just bring them in. Just open our hearts to them and restore them. The Father said, somebody go get the best robe. Don't go get that one that's got moth holes in it. Don't go get that little weak, struggling little calf and let's burn him up tonight and eat him. Let's just let's, let's get a few hot dogs for the bonfire. That will be good enough. No, he said, we're going to put on a royal feast tonight because my son who is gone, who was gone, has returned to the household. And he put on the feast and they celebrated. I'm telling you, some of us just need to celebrate. Our kids, they're coming home. They're coming home. Let me tell you something that's on my heart right now. And I hope that you'll hear this pastor's heart and that you'll hear it well and that you'll hear it from the place that I'm coming from. Come help me quit if you will. I'm about, I'm about finished. I, I have really been praying for our church of late. Because there's something that has been bothering me some about all of us and where we are. We have a great harvest before us. I don't know if you rec you've recognized that before. We have a child care center that is absolutely jam-packed filled with kids. Many of them and their families know nothing about Jesus, nothing about serving the Lord, nothing at all. It's a harvest field for us. We have kids in our school now, first and kindergarten. We have families that they know nothing about Jesus, nothing about church. And I'm not saying that we ought to project all of our stuff on them, but we ought to be living in such a, a way that every day that we live, that we're saying, God, let me be a vessel of your love and to show love to these kids 
Many of them don't get love at home. They don't understand the concept of love. And many of them do. Many of them come from fine homes and wonderful homes and lovely homes. In fact, we've got a parent in church with us today who has come to visit with us and hangs out with us occasionally. We have some wonderful people there. But there are also some that they don't know Jesus. They don't understand what it is to be a Christian. And it's our responsibility. Why do you think that God brought them here to us? So that we can not only give them physical care, but so that we can give them holistic care. So that they will be healthy and happy and whole in every area of their lives. But not only is that a harvest field. We've got kids that have grown up in this church. We've got kids that their mom and dad were attending here when they were born and came into this world. And there are times that we have to beg and plead just to get somebody to watch the nursery occasionally or to teach a class. I can't do that. I I need to be in worship myself. Can I just very lovingly say to you that there should come a time in your walk with the Lord that you are mature enough that if you miss a worship service once every six weeks, it's not going to cause you to fail in your faith. You need to be looking at these children and these teenagers around here as having been made by the hand of God. And somebody has to teach them the way of the kingdom. And so I'm just, you know what I'm praying? I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me that the Lord will stir our little comfort nest up so that we don't always have to feel like that we have to be in the sanctuary trying to get stirred up ourselves, just trying to make it ourselves, just barely trying to get through. But when these kids come by and kick us in the shin and and then they knock us in the backside of the head and, and they fall down on the floor and then chew on our ankles for a while and whatever it is, instead of saying, I wish their mom or dad would come get this kid and get him out of my hair, then we'd say, in Jesus' name, I'm going to teach whatever class I have to teach to help this kid grow up and be everything that God has called them to be. Grandparents, we have the same responsibility. It's not our job just to give them Reese cups. It's not our job just to go out and buy our own set of car seats so that we can cart them all over town and get them where they need to go. I think we've got car seats in just about every vehicle that we have because we never know who we're going to have and when. And I don't mind. I'm glad to help. But we've got to get to the place where we realize that all that stuff has to be incorporated into the ultimate goal, which is to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you tell I'm being real careful with my words today? You start talking about families and what people might ought to do and what they should consider. You gotta, you gotta walk softly. I'm telling you though, I'm getting ready to stop walking softly. I've just about had it all I want. I'm tired of itching ears and all that kind of stuff. 
There, there comes a point we, we've got to raise up and, and, and operate in the power of the Spirit that God has given us so that we can win the world. And we're, we're sending money all around the world, and we should be, so that people can be introduced to Jesus Christ. But there are people right here in Louisville that need to hear of Jesus, and it's our responsibility to train them up. And many of them, many of them, many of them sit right here in our church every week. I'm praying for you that the Lord will encourage you to play your part. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or just a member of this church, that you'll come to the place where you realize that I can be a difference maker in someone's life. I can love this kid to Jesus. I can love them. Close with this example and then we're going to have communion in just a few moments for those of you who would like to join us for that. There's a lady that I pastored many years ago. She's in heaven now. She's probably teaching children's church in heaven. I don't know. Her name was Dima. The kids sometimes could not say Dima, and they would say demon. So our children's church leader was demon. Dima. And she would say this pretty frequently. Anything that I would ask her to do or that someone would ask her to do, she would look at you and she'd say, well, I'm probably not the best candidate to do that. But while I might not be the best, I am anointed. And if I'm anointed, I can do it. And I don't know how many kids that lady brought to Jesus Christ. I don't know how many kids, only in eternity will we ever know. But I can still see that little lady. She wasn't young. She was my age, 60-ish probably. I can see that little lady get on her knees before those kids. And with tears in her eyes, lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I will just tell you that when we get to heaven one of these days, I'm a pastor of a church. And I've had the privilege of leading men and women into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I believe I'm going to be standing there on the streets of gold and people are going to walk right by me. And I'm going to think, well, they used to attend the church I pastored and they're walking right by me. What happened? They're going right by me. And I'm going to turn around and look and there will be Dima Clark with all those kids standing around her, thanking her for the investment that she made into their lives. And because of her, they will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. So what am I saying? I'm saying we've got a job to do, church. It's time for us to rise up and do it. God has saved us. He has kept us. He has resourced us. Why do you think He did that? He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to redeem this church. But He did. And the reason that He did is because He has a purpose for us to fulfill. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be satisfied just to come here and get chill bumps every now and then. 
I'm so thankful that there are a few people that are finally starting to understand that there's an altar of praise up front and when the singers are singing, they can come up here and praise the Lord up here instead of back there in secret. I'm glad for the progress that we're making. I'm glad for the journey that we're on. But the journey must also include our concern for people who need to know who Jesus is. And I'm praying that God will give you a passion unlike anything that you have ever known before. And next week, I'm going to be asking you to do something very specific. I'm not going to tell you this week what it is. You'll have to come next week so that you'll find out. But I'm going to ask you to do something that will take you out of your comfort zone. But I believe it's something that God is calling us to do for this time and for this season. I want to be part of what He's doing, don't you? You can just remain seated, but I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for every parent in this house. And then I'm going to pray for every grandparent that God will help you to be the person that He has called you to be to help us train up these kids, these young people, these teenagers, these young adults, so that they might know Jesus in a powerful way. Let's pray. Father, you know, I knew when you started directing my heart this direction that this would not be one of those old-time Pentecostal church, you know, sermons where everybody gets excited and screams and hollers and claps their hands and jumps up and down and all that. We have plenty of those, but Lord, I knew that you were prompting me to speak.